the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And uh, had a wonderful uh, event a couple nights ago in um, Washington, D.C., highlighting Phyllis Schlafly's commitment to patents. Um, she was very committed to the patent system in America. And uh, so we have this annual event that gathers some of the key people, policymakers and those who want to protect patents cuts across, uh, cuts across party lines, actually, because, um, the real, uh, danger to patents is the government bureaucrats and the government bureaucrats who are influenced by, uh, generally big business and some of the big tech companies. So anyway, great event. Thomas Massey, the congressman from Kentucky was there. Uh, Congressman, uh, Posey, Bill Posey from Florida was uh, received an honor and a retired judge, Kathleen O'Malley gave a speech, uh, fantastic. So if you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can see more of that there. We'll post that in the next couple of days. So welcome. Welcome to the Pro America Report. I'm Ed Martin. Great to be with you. Follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin, uh, at Eagle Ed Martin. Uh, again, phyllisschlafly.com and visit Pro America Report, proamericareport.com. There, if you sign, if you use that, um, if you use that address, you can sign up for the daily email, the daily wink. What you need to know goes out every morning at 8 a.m. The wink. What you need to know. And that's what this segment is. What you need to know. Well, today is the launch, uh, of uh, I almost said Elon Musk, the launch of Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, his race uh, for president. And here's what you need to know. Um, and the reason why governors are good candidates for president is because they are proven uh, not just vote getters, although that matters. They're proven fundraisers. And sitting governors are particularly effective as candidates for president because as a sitting governor, when you call donors, you have a particular amount of sway, meaning you're a governor. And if you're a business and you're operating in that state, a big state like Florida, a big state like Texas, a big state uh, like California, you get the point. Uh, you have uh, people that care about what your opinion is. They want to keep you happy. And sometimes... Quite frequently, they're happy to give you some money to run for president, even if they may, you may not be their top choice. So you have George W. Bush, uh, governor of Texas at the time, Jeb Bush, governor of Florida, when he ran for president. Uh, you have uh, Ronald Reagan, of course, was governor when he ran the first couple times. Uh, the last time when he won, he was not governor, but pretty common. Governor Bill Clinton was a governor. Um, it's a common thing, plus it's an executive branch position. So um, Ron DeSantis, well positioned in that sense. But the uh, real reason that you run as governor is uh, because you have a perch from which to run almost always. And as I said, as I mentioned, you can raise the money. So who's in this race now who are competitive in the Republican side? And let's look backwards to 2016 in 2016, two of the more competitive candidates in the race were, uh, were governor Scott Walker 
and Governor Jeb Bush. And why competitive, I mean that they went long into the race. Others were popular. Ted Cruz got a lot of attention, got a lot of votes. Uh, but Scott Walker, he raised over $100 million, I think $150 million if you include the super PAC that was supporting him. Jeb Bush, similar numbers, $150 million. Right now, Ron DeSantis has over $100 million in his uh, campaign funds and related stuff. So you're in the game. In order to run for president, especially on the American, uh, excuse me, Republican side, which is the one I know best, you really need about $50 million to get out of the gate. You need between 25 and 30 for the run up to the Iowa caucuses and then another 15 or so in New Hampshire and, uh, and South Carolina right behind it. So you need about $50 million to be serious, to have a real chance to compete. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to put together. Now, Trump has it. He raised money as has raised money all along the way, but he raised money right after getting out of office. DeSantis has it. Uh, you know, Tim Scott has probably close to that. He's a popular candidate with some of the big uh, money guys. So uh, uh, Nikki Haley doesn't have it. Uh, uh, Governor Abbott could have it if he ran. Uh, but you can't really be. It's one of the things Pompeo knew. Um, you, you can't if you're raising $10 million, you can't compete long. You got to have 50. I mean, you really have to have 30 to start and then 50 pretty quick. So it's a big barrier to getting in the race. So back to DeSantis. Here's the problem. Governors are so popular in their space and in their job that they're not often clearly seen for the national stage. So Jeb Bush, when he went on the national stage, it was just the wrong time. And he was a well-regarded governor. I mean, he was always too moderate for me, especially on things like education, but he just did not flow. He did not, he did not appeal broadly in the country when he went from being very popular in Florida. But Scott Walker is the one I want to mention. Scott Walker was a tested governor. He had been elected twice and recalled once. He beat them all. And, and he was targeted by the teachers unions and the unions in general. And he beat them all. He was a proven vote getter. He raised a boatload of money. He was very good friends with Paul Ryan, very good friends with Reince Priebus. He was a young guy. He fit a lot of the bill of what you see with DeSantis. Uh, um, uh, Scott Walker, I don't remember right now his kids. He's got a couple of kids, though, for sure. I can picture them on stage. His wife, they're, you know, attractive people. Scott Walker's a good speaker, um, not particularly a firebrand, but very, you know, very successful and very serious. And, and not, and not even serious. He was also had a big smile. I mean, he was a real candidate that had, had ever all the markings in a wide open primary of being the guy. And that's what DeSantis is telling himself, too. 44 years old, a nice uh, family. He's got the successes, and he's got conservative successes in Florida, just like Scott Walker had conservative successes in Wisconsin. And yet, it went nowhere. It went nowhere. Scott Walker burned through his money and was really a non-factor completely. In fact, he was eclipsed by Ted Cruz. He was eclipsed by Trump, of course, but uh, but he was he was eclipsed eclipsed by the secondary uh, candidates. Ultimately, he was not um, he was not someone that caught fire at all nationally. That's what you have to wonder with DeSantis. He he, you know, I've had him speak at one of our events, one of our Eagle events, and uh, he's bright. He's clearly um, 
understands all the issues or that we're talking about. He's not someone who is, is, is clueless. You're going to surprise him by, you know, remember when there was gotcha moments where they asked like some candidates, you know, who's the head of Syria? Who would you talk to? He's not going to, he, you know, DeSantis is a driven career politician who has real brains. He's not dumb. And, but he's not effusive. He's not a backslapper, a good slapper. And, you know, and so he, he may be positioning himself as the, the mild Trump, you know, the not dramatic Trump. But the problem is people vote. It's a popularity contest. My wife always tells me that it's just a popularity contest. Uh, some issues matter, right? If you're Republican, you want to be Republican. If you're Democrat, you want to be Democrat. And some key issues will sometimes pull you in different ways. You have to wonder in this upcoming election if there's going to be some younger Democrats who want less war, who worry about uh, the uh, imposition of uh, uh, a loss of privacy and some of the things. And will they take a look at a, a Republican? I'm not sure they will. I mean, everybody always says that that's going to happen. But in general, in general, people vote for people that they, uh, how to say, relate to or at least are entertained by. They pay attention to. Again, you got to get the threshold. You can't be a moron. You can't be just a a, a kidder. Uh, but if it's somebody that they like and they understand and they see, and then they react to. And here's the thing. In this upcoming election, it feels like most Americans, normal Americans, are watching a certain set of people, the media and, and, and power that are sort of hyena-like. They attack and they screech and they yell. They make you feel bad if you're a guy. They make you feel bad if you're white. They make you feel bad if you do this or that or the other thing. They make you feel bad if you're not completely sensitized to exactly what everybody else thinks should be the 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 thing of the moment. You know the 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 uh, whether it's transgender uh, issues or you have to pledge allegiance to uh, George Floyd, whatever it is, people feel like it's we're beleaguered. I think that's a feeling. And so the question is, who do they want? Do they want the hot temperature? Do they want the the guy who's got a lot of personality and a lot of fight, or do they want the workmanlike guy? Again, I think we're going to find out. But I would not be surprised at all. If you're talking about DeSantis out of this race in three months, I would not be surprised at all. I think that there's a likelihood that it just is not. Now, he may be smart enough and have a system enough that he builds out a way to campaign for nine months. You know, Scott Walker hung hung around for about six months and Jeb with his money hung around a little longer. But it became pretty clear pretty quickly that if you're down in the in the you know, low teens or you're in the teens and and you're just punching away, damaging the top of the ticket, damaging the leader. It's not going to work for very long. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But we're certainly going to have a race. And here's the thing. Last thing you need to know. Trump loves this. Trump loves showing that he will expose the bad guys and he will fight and he doesn't care what party they're in. And he mostly wants the attention, people paying attention and talking about him, talking about others because he knows how to win. That's what he's planning on. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Mike Davis, our old friend Mike Davis, uh, he of the Article 3 Project. And if you go to their website, article3project.org, you'll see a lot of what they're up to. And he is on Twitter, uh, always active uh, there. Welcome back, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well, Ed, and thank you for having me. Uh, no, gr- great to have you. I, very specifically, I wanted to ask about this statement that you all put out. Article 3 uh, Project put out a statement on the FBI destroying evidence in the Clinton Foundation investigation. Now, part of me, when I saw this, I hadn't tracked that um, story yet, but I knew Hillary Clinton had done an interview, a lengthy interview in the last couple of days and was mouthing off on everybody and everything and how she was the great aggrieved party. But, Mike, exactly what happened here and... What is the story? I mean, it it, it, it almost sounds that New York Times is reporting it, but it almost sounds like uh, it's made up. Walk us through this. Yeah, I'll walk you through it. The FBI knew that then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had an illegal home server with America's most classified secrets. And these secrets were almost certainly hacked by our worst enemies. And the, the FBI also knew that this home server, illegal home server, evidences evidences the Clinton Foundation's illegal pay-for-play bribery schemes with foreign governments. The FBI also knew that Hillary Clinton destroyed this server uh, in the face of a congressional investigation, which is obstruction of justice. So what did the FBI do about this? According to this New York Times report, Ed, they destroyed the remaining evidence. And uh, worse than that... They colluded with Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016 with President Obama, Vice President Biden, the Obama Attorney General, the Obama CIA director and others to launch the baseless Russian collusion hoax against then presidential candidate Donald Trump. And this led to Crossfire Hurricane, this three year uh, Department of Justice investigation that was used to hobble the Trump presidency for his first three years. And at the same time that all this was happening, the FBI hid evidence that 2020 presidential candidate Joe Biden was compromised by millions of dollars in corrupt foreign payments to himself and his family from China, from Ukraine, from Romania, and probably others. And Chuck Grassley, my former boss, has this whistleblower evidence that then-Vice President Joe Biden even took a foreign bribe and changed American policy. The FBI has this document. The FBI is refusing to turn over this document. The FBI has, has had this document for years. And then we, we, that was 2016 and 2020. So what did the FBI do for 2024? They went to this biased magistrate judge down in Florida, Bruce Reinhardt, who had just recused from Trump's civil lawsuit against Hillary right. Clinton six weeks right. prior. Yep. And they got this unprecedented, unnecessary, unlawful home raid to go after President Trump, the office of the former president, to steal his, his his copy, this damning copy of these crossfire hurricane records that Trump declassified the day before he left office, but President Biden never publicly released. So, well, what is now, wait a second. First of all, Mike, let me go back for pause one second on this. If the FBI went and took and see, or excuse me, if whoever it was, um, uh, agents of the federal government seized documents from Trump, do we, those aren't the documents that's being reported that were destroyed yet, right? I mean, that'll happen next, I guess, but that we don't know that one yet. They, in theory, they should be somewhere, right? Well, you'd think so, but remember, Trump had these crossfire hurricane records that he 
that uh, he had Rick Grinnell get when Rick, Rick Grinnell was the acting DNI, right? So they got right. these records. Trump had them. He sent out that presidential memo on January 19th, 2020, the day before he left office, or 2021, the day before he left left office on January 20th. He said, these are declassified. The FBI raised concerns about, oh, no, there are privacy concerns. You can't release these public, publicly until we do our privacy review. So Mark Meadows issued a memo the day he left office on January 20th and said, okay, do your privacy review and get these crossfire hurricane documents out there publicly. And then Biden never felt followed through on this. Biden, uh, actually, from what we understand, reclassified these documents. Trump had his declassified copy down in Mar-a-Lago, and that's what led to this unprecedented home raid. This home raid was all about getting back these crossfire hurricane records. Does uh, um, So, Mike, back up for, back up for one second. I, I think I, I got that. But now to the ones, the report, the New York Times has a report, which means it's coming from the intelligence community and, and or from the Clinton Foundation about the Clinton Foundation investigation. And what we know is they destroyed... Uh, the remaining evidence that's the report in the new york times so taking it as on its face who, if that's true who did something wrong we're talking mike davis by the way article three project i mean I, I worked in the in the white house worked on capitol hill and senior levels of uh of this u.s senate and also uh, clerk to the u.s supreme court so he knows what for on the three branches of government but so who who could be accountable where is the path for accountability who's not doing that well, you'd have to ask who who was the one who was investigating this. They, the quote from the New York Times is, quote, all of the evidence obtained during the course of this investigation has been returned or otherwise destroyed, right? Okay. okay. So look, let's look at who's in charge during all this. This investigation uh, would have uh, received what is known as a declination memo from the prosecutors in August of 2021. So you have uh, former FBI Director James Comey, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, former FBI Senior Counterintelligence Official Peter Strzok. You have current FBI Director Chris Wray. Uh, you have the, the people in the Justice Department. You have Attorney General Bill Barr. You have the Deputy Attorney General. You have uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. You have the, the Deputy Attorney General. There are a lot of people who are involved in this. And what needs to happen here is House Republicans on the Judiciary Committee, they must call in all of these bad actors, call in every single one of these, issue subpoenas, demand all of their documents, make them come in and sit down for a staff deposition, and then put them in front of the cameras for a public hearing. Make the process the public punishment. We have to get to the bottom of this. This this cannot continue. We cannot continue as a country where we have this blatant evidence that our FBI has interfered in the, the last three presidential elections, 2016, 2020, and 2024. This is unacceptable. Uh, Mike Davis, again, um, for one second. You, so you're saying right now we don't really know who did this. We know the range of who could be in charge, right? I mean, so your, your point is let's get people in and say what, who made this call? When did they make it? You know, what was the, the background? Because that's not being reported yet, right? That is not being reported. And you notice how it was it was nice. It was put at the very end, the very last sentence of this New York Times story is where they dropped this bombshell that the FBI destroyed all the evidence right. and this other returned or otherwise destroyed the evidence in this investigation. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. That's the, the, the uh, it, it literally the last sentence is, quote, all of the evidence obtained during the course of this investigation has been turned and otherwise destroyed, according to the FBI. As you say, to me, this is this whole thing is a uh, CYA. They're, they're leaking this to try to say, oh, it's out there. We, we told people and everybody moves on. Um, why wouldn't the Republicans do as you suggest, just too busy or too much trouble or what? What I, I guess I'm asking you a roundabout way to say there. The U.S. House is controlled by Republicans. Are they really doing the things they should be doing? You know, I was a pretty vocal critic of Jim Jordan when he first started off. I've been a vocal critic of Jim Jordan for many years because of his position on big tech. I think he's very bad on the big tech issue. I thought he got off to a slow and bumpy start on oversight, but I really do think that Jim Jordan is starting to fire on all cylinders. He's really staffed up the Judiciary Committee along with the Weaponization Subcommittee. So I do think that he'll get to this. And remember, this New York Times story just came out yesterday. It's uh, it's unbelievable, Mike. I mean, and, and I got to tell you, every time I have you on, I think to myself, well, Mike's laid it out. Why can't everybody see it? But then, you know what? I'm going to tell you, you're like um, you're like Lucy with the football, because you t- also told me that we'd get to the bottom of the leaker uh, from the Supreme Court. And we still haven't done that. So now I'm just worried that I'm going to my I see what you're saying. I see the path. I say, OK, they're going to do it. But will they really do it? That's what I worry about. Anyway, I got to run. Mike Davis, I'm sorry to cut you off on, and leave that on that note. But uh, Mike Davis, our guest again, article3project.org, article3, the number three, project.org. Uh, they've got a statement out there. I'll put it up on social media. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And uh, we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, I will put up a link to uh, that site there. Be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, yesterday, I was having an exchange with uh, uh, a colleague of mine. We were talking about the Media Research Center um, and what they put out um, a- analyzing uh, the AP, the Associated Press. So uh, if you go to VMRC, at VMRC on the old uh, uh, Twitter machine, uh, also you can uh, track them down, MRC.org. Lots of great information at the Media Research Center. And in this case, what the AP is pushing in terms of uh, stories. And um, I woke up uh, this morning, and our, our guest is uh, Joe Vasquez. I'll get to him in a minute, introducing him. I, the AP had a set of stories. They spent a year uh, trying to figure out how to say America's racist. And there's a whole, like, five five in-depth stories. And I thought, shook my head and thought, I wonder who paid for that. Because what MRC figured out was $8 million given from some of the key um uh, climate change advocates to look into this issue. And suddenly the uh, AP Associated Press has lots and lots of uh, buzzwords and extremism around this uh, around this topic. And we'll talk about that. Our next guest is Joe Vasquez. He's the associate editor over at the Media Research Center's Free Speech America and also MRC Business. Welcome, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well, Ed. Thanks for having me. You know, I was thought I was thinking about this as I was getting ready. I, I had a researcher on my show, an Indian national. He lives in India. He comes on the program. He's an engineer. Um, he studied uh, engineering and environmental science over at the uh, University of East Anglia, which is one of the places where some of the climate change uh, stories broke out. And he's Indian. And so he said, we call this uh, climate 
uh, colonialism. When you guys come over from America, all these left wing groups in the government and say you must change everything you do and do it in like 10 minutes when you in America have been spending 150 years getting to where you are. And and when I w- watch this, I mean, Joe, it, it is paid propaganda. That's the phrase you use. Eight million dollar grant from climate change advocates. One side of the debate and then suddenly the AP is writing using all these extremism words. I mean, there's not a lot of it doesn't seem like there's a lot of wiggle room here. No, absolutely not. I mean, it, it's 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 you'd be hard pressed to prove that you are somehow a neutral arbiter of the news when you're getting paid by special interest groups to push one side of the narrative. I mean, you know, when we did the analysis, we looked across 64 articles. Uh, between February 15, 2022 to February 15, 2023. And we were looking at just some of the buzzwords that the AP used. And, you know, we found words, you know, related to climate change. Oh, death sentence, uh, disaster, (laughs) extreme. You know, I mean, you would think like we're entering Armageddon or something. But but if you are being paid to push a particular narrative, guess what? It's pay for play. It's exactly what it is. So if you're getting millions of dollars, you know, from these interest groups that have a record, I mean, like one of them, one of the groups, I mean, I almost fell out of my seat when I when I saw this, when I saw the Rockefeller Foundation was one of the funders of this group. I mean, this group is notorious for pushing, you know, for pushing issues related to population growth. I mean, that's a particular issue that the Rockefeller Foundation had had, had focused on population related to climate, you know, overgrown right, populations. Right, I'm like, right. OK, so they're known for stuff like that. And you're going to let groups like this, including, you know, um, including Quadrivium, which is actually uh, James Murdoch's uh, foundation. And he's uh, the estranged son of Rupert Murdoch, but he's a known climate activist. He's known for put for funding radical left wing extremist climate groups. And you're going to let this you're, you're going to let the money coming from these groups influence the way that you that you cover things. And at the same time, you're trying to paint yourself to your readers as being neutral. I mean, are you kidding me? The joke writes itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and well, and the joke's on us. I mean, in the sense that, uh, when you, 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 you and there's not a, a, well, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I'm going to say it and then you tell me if I'm wrong. There's not a big button that says paid for by, um, I, is there even one of these things where it's sponsored content? Sometimes you'll have uh, websites and they'll say sponsored content, which means somebody paid for it. In this case, I think they get the grant to look into it and then magically they look into it and use magic, you know, extremism words and buzzwords, <laughs> but there's not even a, a warning, right? There's no warning label saying warning and, you know, $8 million uh, funded by one side of this, right? I mean, we don't know that if you're, if you're a, if you're a normal reader, you go, Oh, the AP Associated Press been around forever. They're just going to tell us like a wire service. They're just going to tell us the truth. It's not the editorial, uh, you know, uh, a mess of MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. Her defense was I'm, I'm an entertainer, not a, a truth teller. But AP doesn't warn us that they're telling us <laughs> propaganda, right? Well, I mean, it goes even farther than that. I mean, you, you know, the, the former vice president of AP, Brian uh, Carol, uh, Carol Villano, I hope I'm not butchering that name. Uh-huh. But he had said when when the eight million dollar grant was given. From these groups, you know, of course, it was controversy because you're thinking about, okay, what about journalistic ethics? And then he justified it. This is how he spun that grant. He said, quote, AP accepts money to cover certain areas, but without strings attached. The funders have no influence on the stories that are done. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you, you're taking money, but you're, oh, that's not going to have an influence on the way we cover something. I'm like, you, you might as well just insult your readers. I mean, tell them, oh, yeah, we are 
you know, we're paid to push propaganda, but we're not a propaganda mill. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a farce. We, again, uh, our guest uh, is uh, Joe Vasquez. He's over at the MRC, uh, a media research center, and he's uh, the uh, the associate editor of the media research center's Free Speech America, and also at MRC Business. Um, Joe. Uh, you know, I've been harping on this and, and, you know, there's almost too much to cover. But uh, John Podesta is now working in the White House, this White House, the Biden White House, and he's overseeing a three hundred and sixty nine billion billion dollar fund that is used is, is meant to uh, help fulfill the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and its climate incentives. And so, you know, uh, Joe, you know, I think you sound young to me. I'm all getting old. And I, back in 2009 and 10, when they passed the stimulus, uh, in my home state, Missouri, the Carnahan family got about a hundred million dollars for windmills, hundred million for windmills, windmill tax credits or whatever. Now we're talking about Podesta with 369 billion dollars. That's a lot of AP grants. And my point here is not, are we watching our news being corrupted? My point is, it's over. You, you know, you, you follow the money and, you know, uh, uh, groups like yours that are, they're shining a light are helpful, but we're being swamped out. You can, I guarantee you that John Podesta's figured out a way to, to, uh, give money to PBS and NPR and others to do analyses of climate issues and they'll end up with the same buzzwords and extremism. Tell me it's not over. <laughs> well, I can tell I, I can definitely <laughs> tell you that we're fighting an uphill battle. I mean, yeah. you know, when you think about it, you just mentioned NPR and PBS. These are these are government. Uh, these are taxpayer funded outlets that, you know, are essentially they're they're state propaganda by design. They're state propaganda by design. So they're pushing a certain narrative. They get grants. And you know what? The taxpayers have to dish out money for these particular outlets, whether they have it, whether they like it or not. So in other words, they're always going to be fed this, this narrative over and over and over again, whether it be on climate, whether it be on, whether it be on cultural issues, whether it be on economics, it does not matter. You're getting, you're paying essentially for one side of the, uh, the aisle to speak. That's why, you know, when we were looking at AP for example, their readership is absolutely enormous. And the fact that they're getting this much money, I mean, you know, to push one side of the one side of the. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, can you can you absolutely imagine? Like, you know, uh, if uh, if other conservative outlets and things like that were getting that much money from that many interest groups all at once, and then pushing one, you know, and then trying to make themselves out to be as being neutral. I mean, uh, forget it. We wouldn't hear the end of it in the liberal media. But oh no, they can take money from these groups and then try to make it seem like they're objective at the same time. It's it, it's a complete farce, and that's why when we were talking about earlier, if AP has any like warning that this is a sponsored article, well, you don't see those kinds of warnings. I mean, right. specifically, it's it, it, and that's why for the average reader who's just reading a news article, they're thinking they're getting the unbiased news. No, what they're getting getting is exactly what. Um, what these groups have paid for paid propaganda to push a climate Armageddon narrative. And that's what they've been pushing. That's why you get terms like death sentence appearing in news reporting. <laughs> I, right. I, I mean, I, I mean, you're going to tell me that that's not editorializing. I mean, if you put stuff like that, you're accused of editorializing, but this right. is in news. This is in appearing in a news item. Yeah. Uh, disasters, climate disasters. I mean, give, give me a break. 
Well, again, again, I, I, you know, I, in the world of, uh, in the, in the world of these, uh, of the, the craziness of, of how quickly, um, we're sort of, uh, made to, to, uh, uh, we're watching people canceled and all. I think we should just join arms and say that all these climate, uh, change alarmists are colonial, uh, what do they call it? climate colonialists. And they're, you know, they're, they're jam, they're culturally appropriating the, uh, Indian people and others. Of course, it doesn't work. As you know, one of the problems here is whatever truth we come up with and find, it, you know, it falls on deaf ears because the media ignores it. I mean, it's one of the great, great problems. Um, you know, uh, uh, Joe, what do you tell people who, when they hear this, they say, okay, I agree. Therefore, I'm no longer going to believe what I read. What do I do? You know, you can go to MRC.org. You see a lot of different stuff. That's the Media Research uh, Center's website. You see a lot of stuff. But, you know, you turn on the news at night. Now that you see this, you say, th- they're all lying to us. I mean, honestly, at a certain point, you say, not only lying to us on the news, but show me a historian and I'll show you a liar because they're clearly <laughs> lying. So Beschloss, this this guy Beschloss, who's the presidential historian, Michael Beschloss, he's a lunatic on on uh, Morning Joe. And you're like, OK, all his books must be lies, too. I mean, it gets to a point where you can't get out of bed and trust that the floor is going to be there. No, exactly right. I mean, let me just look at John Meacham, for example. Like he tried oh, to yeah. give impartial yeah. analysis, and meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. he's helping the Biden campaign or, or, or on the back end. I mean, right. it's. It, I mean, they're all you know, they're 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 all shills, you know, for you know, for for the left. This is this is what they do. You know, when I was looking at what the AP was doing in particular, you know, I was just thinking like this is all boiled down for just to just you know, if I want if I was just to put this in a one liner, um, you know, having groups with leftists leftist political agendas, finance and news outlets, climate reporting. Is like having big pharma finance and news outlets reporting on drugs. That's right, that. That's, right. It, it screams conflict of interest, mm-hmm. you know. But but the media don't care because why? They realize that they have an agenda to push, and they're going to do it no matter what. Ethics be darned, they do not care. Well, I think that's right. And I mean, the, the, again, the danger is, I mean, you got to keep finding, you got to keep fighting your way through to the places and the people that you can trust, the voices you can trust. All right. One of them is uh, the Media Research Center. And uh, thank you, Joe Vasquez, uh, Media Research Center's Free Speech America Associate Editor. He's also over at MRC Business. MRC.org. Check out their website. Also, the MRC at the MRC. And I'm saying M there. M at the MRC on Twitter. Great Twitter feed. Thanks, Joe, for your time. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. And I will put up on social media all the links uh, to what we've been talking about, including back to one of the links of the at, at the MRC uh, that really uh, ties this story together. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. We've been talking this week about examples of historical revisionism and Islamic bias in school history textbooks. Muslim imperialism is usually omitted or downplayed, and a completely false narrative about the Crusades is given. Back in the year of 9-11, a big controversy erupted at Excelsior Public School in Byron, California, where 7th graders were being taught a three-week course about the Islamic religion. This course required the kids to learn 25 Islamic terms, 20 proverbs, Islam's five pillars of faith, 10 key Islamic prophets and disciples, recite from the Quran, wear a robe during class, and adopt a Muslim name. Excelsior was using one of the textbooks that omit information about Islam's wars, massacres, and cruelties against Christians and Jews. 
Christianity was mentioned only briefly and negatively, linked to the Inquisition and to Salem witch hunts. The students were given Muslim names and told to recite Muslim prayers in class. They were required to give up things for a day to recognize the Islamic practice of Ramadan, and the teacher gave extra credit for fasting at lunch. For the final exam, the students had to write an essay about Islamic culture. The essay assignment warned students, Be careful here. If you do not have something positive to say, don't say anything. Parents thought they could appeal to the courts to uphold their right to reject this type of behavior modification in the classroom, but the parents lost in court. And in 2006, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to consider the parents' appeal from the lower court decision against them. However, the Texas State School Board has examined the textbooks used in Texas schools and is now demanding that the publishers remove the false statements and the pro-Islamic propaganda. The better way to go is to appeal to your school board. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re-listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, as we wrap things up, let me comment on a story you may have seen um, a few days ago now, and that is the FBI has uh, released information that's in 2020 in particular, uh, but then on in 2021 and 2022, they use the Foreign Surveillance Authority that's granted them uh, called FISA. Um, there's a section 702 uh, that needs to be, I guess, reauthorized, and it's a, a they call it a, quote, surveillance tool. Well, surveillance tool, they used it. And this is why it got some attention. It was used against Black Lives Matter. So they used it. And then it was used for January 6th. Then it was used against sitting members of Congress and candidates for Congress. In other words, the FBI used their authority to surveil all these different groups and people. And it was at least, uh, I would say, overly broad, if not just totally contrived. And here's the problem. If, in fact, much of these, uh, m- many of these efforts to increase surveillance happened after 9-11 when we were so scared uh, by the attack on us and then going forward in a nation at war for, I don't know, a decade, more than a decade, uh, more significantly more than a decade, almost 20 years, um, we had, you know, we're at war and we had reasons we told ourselves that we needed to have uh, these foreign sur- intelligence surveillance court uh, allow the FISA, they call FISA uh, applications and, and subpoenas, et cetera. But at this moment, we, we so thoroughly distrust our institutions, including and especially the FBI. How can we go forward? What can the check and balance be if, um, if we can't trust them? What, what, what will we do? What shall we do it, it, to try to gain uh, their trust? Uh, gain their, well, it, realize we distrust them and therefore allow 
the basics. I mean, I'm not someone who says there can be nothing, right? I'm not saying that there, I'm not someone who says, let's be silly and not have, protect our country. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be tricked into that position. But at this point, you, you read this article, and, and let me be clear, uh, the article I'm looking at is Politico, and it feels to me like the Politico story only came to light because BLM, Black Lives Matter, was a part of this, and this is offensive to him. It doesn't seem like they're as worried about the fact that uh, the, the members of Congress were targeted, Republicans. January 6th folks were targeted, MAGA types. And the question back to my, you know, if, if we flipped on its head, the trust and verify it used to be trust and verify was what Reagan said about the Soviets. I say about the federal government and the local government, but especially law enforcement, where you're likely to lose your liberty. It's distrust and verify. The starting assumption is distrust, complete distrust that they're lying to us, that they're not telling the truth. And in fact, they're misleading us. They're sending us down rabbit holes and on wild goose chases all over the place. That's what you have. I think that's your starting point. After the amount of uh, uh, of abuse we've seen, remember, it was the FISA applications that we had an FBI lawyer admit that he just changed the words. He just lied about it. And that's the beginning. That's the, the, the tip of the iceberg of the reasons to distrust the institution. And then you say, huh, this FISA authority, surveillance authority being used over broadly, targeting Americans, huh, what could go wrong? Everything. Everything could go wrong. And it feels like it is. So I don't know what's going to happen when this uh, 702, Section 702, the reauthorization of the FISA comes up. I don't know how there'll be a serious debate because a lot of people that are briefed on it in Capitol Hill and Congress, both both parties will say, oh, we hear of such serious threats. We need the authority. Well, I don't hear it. I'm not briefed in the way they are. So I'm not saying they're liars. I am saying at a certain point, it looks like, it feels like, some of the institutions, the FBI is the one I'm thinking of, that are supposed to keep us safe are endangering us. That's what it feels like. And that's what it reads in the Durham Report and others. we got to figure out some way to keep our country safe, but to not be abused by our government. To be abused and, and, and the, the product, the tools misused. Because it seems to be going on regularly. All right. Uh, That's enough on that. I'll put that up on social media. Take a look. Again, the FBI admitting that they are misusing their authority. Uh, But no, we should trust them now. We should trust them now. That was only a few years ago. Yeah, right. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, our associate producer. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.